Yeah, my name is Jared Moore. I'm a lead pastor of Trinity Church in the Phoenix, Arizona area, where today it's 115 degrees. So I made a deal with Pastor Tim. The only way I can make this up to him is he has to come preach for me in February, get him out of the snow and the cold, and we'll, we're going to have this partnership for a long time together, I have, I have a feeling. Um, we've been there for about two years. Uh, my wife and I, we moved, we were at a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, and that's how we got connected, really. My wife is from Rhode Island. In fact, before I go any further, let me introduce you to my family. Put their picture up on, on the screen, if you would. Um, this is a picture of Amanda, my wife, Gianna, Grayson, and Gabby. My wife is a New Englander from Cranston, Rhode Island. In fact, every summer we would come back. Yeah, give it up for Cranston, Rhode Island, everybody. <laughs> yeah, every summer we would come back. And we were trying to find a church that we wanted to hang out, go, go see. And so literally, all you that are watching online, I know exactly what you're going through. Um, I typed in great churches in New England, and five years ago, guess what popped up? Waters Church. And we walked in, and from the very first moment, before you clap, hold on a second. First moment we walked in, we loved the culture, we fell in love with the music, and it was quick to understand the preaching was just phenomenal with Pastor Tim, and I'm just telling you, one of the things that I'm learning as a pastor is wherever the gospel is thriving, it's because there's great leadership behind it. And how many of you do you know, I mean, come on, that you have great leaders in Pastor Tim and Pastor Cheryl and leading Waters Church. Can we just show them some honor and some love today? And they're amazing. You guys are three hours ahead of us, and so every Sunday morning, in my office in Phoenix, 6.30, I'm watching Waters Church, finding the creative elements that you're doing, copying best practices. You know, pastors do that. My pastor in seminary told me, if God gave you eyes, plagiarize. And so I'm just, <laughs> I'm along for the journey, everybody. I'm learning with and from you. And it's just amazing to see what God is doing um, through you at Waters Church. I mean, you belong to an incredible church and you have great pastors. I hope that you know that. Hey, take your sermon notes out. They're inside your worship guide. If you're online, click the button. Um, I think you're going to be challenged and blessed today as we look at a familiar passage in Joshua chapter, Joshua chapter 2. The choices that we make determine our future. Isn't that true? The choices that we make today will absolutely determine your future. Choices like, uh, should I... Party or should I study? How many of you that have been through college? You know, that will determine your future. Choices, hey, should we spend um, freely or should we save frugally? That determines your future. The choices of, hey, should we work on our marriage or should we throw in the towel? How many of you know that the choices you make today will absolutely determine your future? Now, here's the thing. Some of the choices you make are small choices. They don't seem like they're a very big deal, but... Every choice, every choice that you make will determine your future. And there's some choices that are just game changers. Now, I was thinking this week as I was studying for this sermon, the four biggest decisions up to this point in my life, now I'm only 36 years old, I know that may surprise some of you, but I'm only 36 years old, everybody. And the four biggest decisions up to this point in my life, number one is is to follow Jesus, to give him my heart, to trust him with my future, number one. Number two was to marry Amanda, my wife, and not somebody else. Number three is to have, to have three kids, or, or should I say, to agree to stop at three kids. <laughs> we're done. We're, we're, we are finished. 
And also number four was to move to Arizona to, to really follow God's call and to trust him with our future and to, to lead a church. If I didn't follow Jesus, if I didn't marry Amanda, didn't agree to have three kids or to stop or move to Arizona, our life would look completely different. Do you get my point? The choices you make today absolutely determine your future. And the good news is this. Some of you are in the room, you're saying, well, Pastor Jared, I've made some really bad decisions with my life. Here's the thing. Regardless of those bad decisions, you don't have to allow those decisions to define you. That you, this is the good news for today, you can start over. Even in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, dare I say even your 60s and your 70s, as long as you have a pulse and blood is pumping through your veins, you can start over. And today we're going to look at a story in Joshua chapter 2 of a woman who made an incredible choice, a choice that saved her life. It also was a choice that redeemed her future and saved her family. It was an incredible decision to start over. Now, don't raise your hands, or if you want to. I mean, it is church. You can raise your hands in church. How many of you, there's just certain seasons of your life, let's be honest, let's raise hands in church today. How many of you would say, hey, there's seasons, choices in my life that I wish I could get back. I wish I could start over. Both of my hands are in the air with you. There's just decisions that you make. You think, man, I... Totally just blew it. And maybe some of you are saying, Pastor, there, there's a decade of my life that I wish that I could do over. I mean, I've just made a mess after mess after mess. You know, before we had kids, um, I would golf several times a week. I was getting pretty good at it. And then we had kids, and my wife said, uh-uh, no more golfing for you. You're going to be hanging out at home. And so I kind of stopped golfing altogether. And I live in Arizona I've golfed three times in two years, and I've lost my swing. In fact, I don't even go golfing anymore. I get so mad. Like, it's not good for me to be on the golf course, everybody. Like, it's just, I gave it up. Well, back when I was golfing all the time, we had this rule with the guys that I would golf with. Every nine holes, in case you whiff a shot, you totally miss your tee shot, you hook it into somebody's yard, into the pool, whatever the case is, you get a, oh, you guys know what I'm talking about. That's right, a mulligan, you golfers. Every nine holes. And sometimes I would save it to the last hole thinking, oh, that, that was a bad shot, but I know a, a worse shot is coming. You know what I'm talking about? So you would save it and you would hope to God like you wouldn't even need it, but you were, you, you were so thankful for that mulligan because sometimes it would save you from a really bad round of golf. How many of you know you just need a mulligan sometimes in your life? John Ortberg, in one, of his, in one of his many books, he, he writes this, that wouldn't it be great if you had a mulligan for other areas? Like you could just call mulligan, and it'd be, totally, it'd be totally forgiven. You wouldn't even ruin that season of your life. You wouldn't ruin that relationship. Oh, mulligan, my mistake, all was forgiven. Like imagine tonight, you're on 295 going, going south back, back to your home, and you're going 85, just gets away from you, and a police officer in the Massachusetts police, they're really forgiving, aren't they? I've been told. They're really forgiving. They walk up and they ask you, do you know how fast you were going? And you say, sorry, I, I totally lost track. And then they hand you a ticket. And you look at them and you say, I know I was wrong, but today, and you rip up the ticket, I'm using my mulligan. And he's like, that's cool, man. Like, don't worry about it. It's totally, like, you, you're all set. Imagine that. Or, 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 or what if, like, you, you bounce a check. 
You overdraw your account, and the banker tells you, I'm sorry, we're about to close down your account. And you look at the banker, and you say to her, hey, I'm, just today, I'm using my mulligan. And she says, no worries, we'll refill your account, no problem. Like, it's totally okay. You botch a test. You blow a presentation. You forget to pick up your kids from practice. No problem, you tell your wife. It's a mulligan, and all is forgiven. Orpberg says that sometimes the need for a mulligan runs much deeper. Sometimes you need a mulligan for entire seasons of your life. He writes, maybe you made a bad decision and it ruined a relationship, and you would give anything for a mulligan. You failed at something that really mattered. You failed as a parent, and it, you know what I'm talking about, parents? And it just hangs over your head like a dark cloud. If only you could get a mulligan, if only you could get a fresh start. My seven-year-old, she started soccer this year. Now, peewee soccer is, you got to gear up for it as a parent. You just have to prepare yourself. This is going to be a brutal hour. You know what I'm talking about, parents? But this year, she decided, Daddy, I, I want to be goalie. Now, in peewee soccer, there's no defense. Like, you are going to get scored on. And the whole year, I'm trying to t- know Gianna. You do not want to be goalie. I promise you. You would be a great defender. Like, as a parent, you feel all of the pressure on you and your daughter is standing there, just the ball and the goal, and you know if a ball gets behind her, it's all her fault. It's all your, no, Gianna, it's, it's not, that's not, you know, you want to be on the front line, not the back. Finally, the last game of the season, the coach puts her in at goalie. I was shocked. She played the first half. It was amazing. Three minutes left of the game. If they win or tie this game, they go on, they go to the tournament, whatever the case is, and Oh, this girl, shoot, it's just an amazing shot. Gets by Gianna, and I just looked at, Gianna looked at me, and I just said, hey, that was a great shot. Nothing you could do. She, she just, just won. Well, two minutes later, one minute left in the game. Gianna just makes a critical, just a little, little air, but just critical in the moment. Doesn't rush and lets another ball just go right between her feet. And I'm on the sidelines, and I'm like, Gianna! I know you, you've never done this, parents, but Gianna! Be aggressive. Come on. Get after the ball. And the seven-year-old looks at me, and she says, I'm trying. And tears just come down. And then my wife looks at me, and she says, you are officially that parent. And you know, right? You just, oh, I just blew it. I just killed her self-esteem. And you wish with everything that you had, you could go back and just take back that comment. You could take back that word. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. You wish there was a thing called mulligan. You wish you could go back and have a fresh start. In Joshua chapter 2, we meet a woman named Rahab who needed a big-time mulligan. Get the picture. Joshua is now leading the children of Israel. Moses has passed off the scene, and now Joshua is charged with taking the children of Israel to the promised land, the land that God promised the Israelites And before they cross into the Jordan River, before they cross into the Promised Land over the Jordan River, look at what it says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Get the picture. And Joshua, the son of Nun, he secretly sent two spies from Shittim. He says, go look over the land, he said. Especially, go look at the city of Jericho. So the spies, they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. You get the picture of Jericho. Jericho is 
12 acres in size, only about 3,000 people or so. But it was this fortified, the city was fortified by these massive stone walls that were completely built around the city. And by the city gate, by the entrance inside this wall was Rahab's establishment. And because Jericho wasn't very big, 3,000 people think a small town in New England, everybody knows everything about everything. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you can't get anything by. And so it was no surprise that Hey, these people were at Rahab's house and word leaked out and then the king heard about it. And I know some of you are thinking, why would these Israelites end up at Rahab's establishment? Like what was going on? Well, it would be normal, right, for strange men to enter and stay there. So they thought, and this is my guess, that under the cover of night that hey, if we stay here, word won't leak out. Nobody will know that we're in town. But because it's a small town, because people begin to talk, the king found out. Look at verse 2. Look in your notes. Because the king of Jericho was told, hey, look, some of the Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, and he said, bring out the men who came to you and entered into your house, because they've come to spy out the whole land. Word leaks out. The men, their face, like, word Rahab turns us in, we're dead. It's over. But Rahab is faced with a decision, a courageous choice. If Rahab obeys the king, she stays in that lifestyle. She continues to do what she wanted to do. If she turns her back on the king and protects the spies, king finds out, really, it's punishable by death. Rahab, a prostitute, is faced with a Decision that will completely change her future. Now let me just pause here before we go any further, and let me talk about Rahab for just a moment. Rahab's name appears eight times in the Bible. Six of those times, Rahab is referred to as a prostitute or a harlot. Probably not something that you'd want to be, be known for. And I just have to think that there was a time in Rahab's life when she was a little girl. And I'm guessing, like most little girls, that Rahab hoped that her daddy would whisper into her ear and tell her how beautiful she was and tell her how she was daddy's little girl. And my guess is Rahab grew up in a home where she longed for a mommy who would be tender, who would be supportive, be safe, and someone who would always be there for her. And when those things are missing from a little girl's life, she will often grow up looking for ways to fill the emptiness, even to the point of giving herself away to complete strangers. And I think the truth about Rahab is that she is not who she wants to be. <laughs> She's not innocent. Rahab made some terrible decisions in her life, some ter terrible choices. But my guess is, is that is not who she wanted to be. I think on the inside of every little girl's dream is, is love and family and maybe someday a husband. And, and I think on the inside is the hope of a new and a different life. And maybe some of you are in the room today and, and you're, not, you're not in Rahab's condition, but and you're longing for something else. Who you are right now is not who you want to be. If you don't hear anything else that I say tonight, I want you to hear this. 
that God looks at Rahab the same way that he looks at you. And he looks past your outside. That God cares more about Rahab's soul and God cares more about your soul and the person that you can become, not the issue that you're in, not the prostitute where Rahab found herself in. And it's true about you. That God sees you for who you are and he doesn't treat you as your sins deserve. He has a hope and he has a future and he has something better for you. Now the king looks at Rahab and demands that she turns over the spies. And it's the most courageous choice that she will ever make and it totally determines her future. Rahab chooses to defy the king. She hides the spies, lies to the king and says actually they they escaped and goes back to the spies and and look at what she says to these Jewish spies in Joshua chapter 2 verse 9 through 11. Look at what she says. I know, this is Rahab talking. Rahab says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country, we're melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And we heard how, what happened when the two kings east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed, we heard of it in our Hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. Look what she says. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. This is an amazing statement that Rahab the prostitute is making. Because in this statement, she's making the choice. I really believe that she's making the choice to start over again. She's heard the stories of of what has happened, how God has provided, how he's rescued and redeemed his people over and over and over again. And I just think that Rahab is wondering and she is hoping and she is praying, could this same God rescue and redeem me too? In this moment, Rahab makes the choice of faith. Now, she is the first Gentile Canaanite woman, Canaanite person, period, to put her faith in God. And because she's such a smart woman, she strikes a deal. I love this part. Check out what she says in Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Because now then, because I'm striking this deal, I'm lying to the king, and I'm giving up this way of life, please swear to me by my Lord that, that you will show your kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to me and that you will save us from death. You know the story. The spies agree. And Rahab has just made the choice that completely alters her future for the good. Rahab lived much of her life with a terrible label. The label of prostitute, harlot, used goods, no value. And honestly, I just think that she hated that value. She hated that label. That is not who she was. That's not who she wanted to be. And write this in your notes. She got rid of that label by doing two things. And the same thing can happen for you. She chose to get rid of that label, number one, because she trusted God to forgive her and to redeem her. She trusted God to forgive her 
and to redeem her. And number two, she abandoned her formal, former way of life. She trusted God to forgive her and to redeem her. And she abandoned her former way of life. How many of us have a label, I wonder, in the room? How many of us have a label that keeps us frozen in failure? I mean, maybe you were given a label by a parent, a boss, a coach. And listen, the label wasn't true, but somehow, somehow, you believed it. And some of you are stuck right where you are because you believed a label. You're in the same place today that you were 10, 20, 30 years ago. Maybe it's spiritually. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's financially. You believed a label and you've allowed the label to define you. And can I, can I challenge you today? Can I, can I be your pastor for just this moment? Listen to me. Never accept those labels. Do something about it. Don't allow those labels to define your future. Get on the growth track. Join a small group. Get a mentor. If you're not happy with where you are, start a date night with your wife. Spend quality time with your children. Stop living up to the labels that somebody has put on you. That is not who God wants you to be. And Rahab made one of, I mean, she had one of the worst labels that you could ever have. But she said, here's what she said in the scripture. I'm done. I'm done. She made the courageous choice to put her faith in God and to start over. And if Rahab can do it, so can you. So why should you make this courageous choice to start over? I know, I know you're asking that question. Well, why should I even do this? All I see is hurdle after hurdle. Where, where I am is comfortable. It's, it's easy. But here's why you should do this. Write this in your notes, number one. The reason why you should start over is because God has made you to be more than you are. God has made you to be more than you are. Did you know that God's plan for you is not to be average? Did you know that? I thought I was going to get a better response than that. God's plan for you is not to be average. Amen, church? God's plan for you is not to be useless. Rahab makes the courageous choice. Most people would look at her and she was like, there's no way. There's no way she can even be average. She is useless. She's used goods, no value. All she'll ever be is that person on the corner. And Rahab makes the courageous choice. She puts her trust in God, leaves her old life, and forever changes her label. So the day they come to take over Jericho, the Israel, look, look, look what happens in verse 25. This is just amazing. But Joshua, they march around. You're gonna, I'm going to skip some of this story. They march around the city. And right before the seventh time, the walls are going to come down, Joshua gives two instructions. Don't take anything from Jericho. Let it all burn. But number two, save Rahab and save her family. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. Look at verse 25. With her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men that Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she, check this out, this is just amazing. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Think about that. Isn't that amazing? 
that because of her courageous choice, a prostitute, a harlot, used goods, no value, that type of person gets grafted into the family of God. Isn't that amazing? And it gets better than that. That's just the beginning. Because of her courageous choice, because of her choice to start over, Rahab's name shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. If you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is what we call the hall of faith, where the huge Old Testament characters like Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all these dudes show up. But in this hall of faith, the name Rahab shows up. Check out Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. This is just amazing. It says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I mean, think about that. Rahab's name shows up in the New Testament. Isn't that amazing? But it gets better. It gets way better than that. In Matthew chapter 1. Now, Matthew chapter 1, it traces the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the truth be told, nobody really reads Matthew chapter 1 because it's so boring and long. But don't miss it. Because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, <laughs> follow along with me. This is, this is going to blow your mind. I'm going to skip a little bit. Because this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Skip down a bunch. Because Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, skip a whole bunch, Salmon the father of Boaz, and you can believe this? Whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose, whose mother was Ruth, and on and on and on and on it goes. This is so shocking. Because not only did her childhood dreams of being a wife and a mother come true, but now she is the great, 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 times 10, the great grandmother of Jesus Christ, the Savior and the Redeemer of the world. Talk about redemption. Talk about forgiveness and starting over. Church, Rahab is what the gospel is all about. It is what Waters Church is all about. And some of you are saying, Jared, 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 what a great story for the Old Testament. And I'm glad she's in the New Testament. But Jared, Jared, there is no way, there's no way that God can forgive me for what I've done. You're in the room and you're saying, Jared, there's not enough mulligans for me. There's no way that I can start over. I'm telling you, church, that if God can re redeem and rescue Rahab, he can redeem and he can rescue you. God made Rahab to become more than what she was. And all it took from Rahab was a courageous choice. So I wonder tonight, what courageous choice do you need to make in order to be all that God is calling you to be? You are made for more. You are not made to be average you are not made to be useless regardless of what label somebody has put on you. God has a better plan. He has a better future. But here's the second point. Write this in your notes. Why start over? Because others need you to be more than who you are. Others need you to be more than who you are. 
In this story, Rahab needed to make a courageous choice. Not just for herself, but if you really read the scripture, she made this courageous choice for her entire family. Rahab tells the spies that the whole country is shaking in fear because of the Israelites. They heard the stories of crossing the Red Sea. They heard the manna. They heard the the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. They heard all of that. And in verse 12, look at what she says. Now please swear to me. Please swear to me by, by by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my family, my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all who belong to me. You'll save me from death. And the spies agree. Now check this out in verse 14. This is what the spies tell Rahab. Our lives for your lives. We'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. Did you catch that? Rahab's decision wasn't just for her sake. It was for her family's sake. This is, this is so big. And this is the question of the day. Who is counting on you to be more than who you are? Dads? Moms? Coaches? Educators? Business leaders? Who is counting on you to be more than who you are? Let me just talk to a couple groups of people in the room. Let me first just talk to the dads. I'm a dad. I like to be challenged. I'm going to give you some challenge language today. Dads, let let me look at you. Your kids are counting on you to be more than who you are. They're counting on you to be the spiritual leader of your home. They're counting on you to be strong in your faith. Let me just say, if you, if you waver in issues of your faith, your children will waver in matters of faith. Lead the way. And you may think, it doesn't matter. They're so little. They don't even know. Like One day, I'll get serious about being the spiritual leader of my home. One day, I'll, I'll really make this a, a focus for me. One day, I'll serve in the church. One day, I'll get plugged into that group. One day I'll go through the growth track. Whatever the case is, I'm telling, I'm telling you, your kids need to see a dad who is passionately in love with Jesus and will follow him wherever he sends him. Your kids need to see you, I'm telling you, like, consistent in every area of your life. Be the leader. Never stop growing. Never stop working. Even if your own father has failed you, don't live up to that label. Start a new course for your life. Don't accept the labels that other people have put on you. The moms, your kids, they need to see you nurture and teach and create loving and safe environments of acceptance. Other things will support this. The church, preschool, all of those things, but Your kids need you to be more than who you are. Don't accept the label that culture is trying to put on you. Be more. Now, married couples, grandparents in the room, 
And even if you're not single adults, let me, let me look, look at you for a minute. You may think one day I'll get serious, but right now I'm just having fun. I'm telling you, your future husband, your future wife depends upon the decisions you make today. Be a leader. Be more. Don't accept the label. Don't accept culture. Be more than who God's calling you to be. And couples, let me look at you and just tell you that your children, your children need to see a rock-solid commitment to your marriage. Even when you fight and you argue, just like Amanda and me, don't be shocked. Pastors and their wives, they still fight, they still argue. It's a normal thing. Your kids need to know that you are committed to each other. Your children should never, ever have to worry about divorce. You are creating in your home confidence and stability in your kids that will serve them well in all areas for their future. I'm telling you, just like Rahab, you hear what I'm saying? That no matter where you are in life right now, there are people counting on you to be more than who you are. Just like Rahab, write this in your notes and then I'm done. Believe, you have to believe today that there is more for your life, that God has more for your life.